Welcome to the Pathway Church Podcast, where you'll find fresh messages uploaded weekly. Pathway Church is a Bible-based church located in Peterborough, Ontario, and we're on a mission to reach people far from God and see them become devoted followers of Jesus. We hope that what you hear today will help you to take one step closer to Jesus. Thanks so much for joining us, and if you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe. Good morning, everybody. Great to see you. Celebrated a birthday this weekend. I did. Thank you, thank you. wasn't about that. There's a story coming. Um, I've been over the hill for a few years now. Um, but I was celebrating my birthday the other day, and my wife and I went into a store uh, to buy a, an outfit. And while I was in there, this young, kind of hip young guy at the sales clerk comes over, and he says, can I help you find anything, sir? And when I heard sir, I was like, this isn't going well. Uh, trying to stay young and hip, but <clears throat> apparently it's not working. And, and so there I am, and he says, oh, uh, can I help you with anything? I said, well, I'd like to buy a sweater. And he says, well, uh, we got a whole bunch of sweaters here on sale. I would definitely avoid these. And he pointed to all the cool, trendy colors and patterns. He says, I, I think you should be looking at something a little more solid, right? A solid color. He's like, I could definitely see my dad wearing one of these. And I thought, it's over. So anyway... We're celebrating our 10-year anniversary as a church, another reminder of my age, and, um, and over these uh, three weeks, we're in the third part of a four-week series, we're talking about Table Talk, it's kind of the name of our series, and what we're doing is we're really kind of having a church conversation, like you might have you know, around the kitchen table with your family, where you talk about our mission, our vision, and values as a church. So we're celebrating 10 years, but we're also looking to the future to see what God has for us as we as we move forward. So here's what I wanted to do. Today, as we close the series, I want to try to share with you some of our values as a church. And to do so, maybe I'll start with a question. How many of you growing up had a conversation that sounded like this with your parents? Let me preface this. Some of our younger audience here in the room and watching at home online are currently having conversations like this with your parents. But let's see, how many of you had a conversation like this? Mom, dad, everyone's going to the party. Everyone's going to the unsupervised and questionable sleepover. Why can't I? Any takers? Okay, a few of you, are, you're, you can, I can see from your eyes that you've had this conversation before with someone. Uh, maybe it sounded something like this. Mom, Susie has a cell phone. Susie has TikTok and Instagram. Why can't I? There's a little quiver, you know, it's like, please. Or it might sound like this. Dad, Nigel has a girlfriend, and he's been dating since he's 12, and I'm basically an adult now. I'm 13 and a half. Why can't I? You know, and if your family was anything like mine, I, let me tell you how this conversation goes. It usually followed up with, uh, you know, a conversation around the, the dinner table that sounded something like this. My mom and dad would say, Nathan, can you remind me what your last name is? <laughs> like, yeah, my last name is Blay. And they'd be like, how about Nigel? Or they would name the friend that I was comparing to. And they'd say, how about what's their last name? And I would say, and they'd be like, notice they're not the same. And I'd be like, yeah, but I want to be like them, and I want to live with their family. And they'd be like, no, 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 no. No, they have their way of doing things, we have our way of doing things. They have their set of values, and we have ours. That's how they do it, and this is us. Anybody have a conversation like that? Yeah. And, of course, if you were anything like me as a teenager, I would just keep pushing. I'd be like, yeah, but I want to move in with Nigel. And they would say, fine, go live with Nigel. Of course, under their breath, they were probably thinking, Nigel's parents don't want you. They don't want to feed your fat face. Like, that's what they would be thinking. But they wouldn't say it. Maybe once. Maybe once. 
Here's what I discovered as a kid. I discovered that every family has a set of values. And you know this. And it would vary. I would visit friends. And let's just talk about table talk. I would visit a friend and we'd sit down at their dinner table and the whole family would sit up nice and formal. They put a napkin on their lap, special dishes, everything counterclockwise around the table. You know, everything had a place and an order. And it's like, wow, I feel like I'm at the four star Ritz. Like, this is how we're doing it. Okay. And so you kind of like, wow, this is interesting. I would go visit a different friend. Dad would be leaning back in his chair laughing. Mom's singing a song during the meal. People are reaching over each other, taking stuff off each other's plates. And I'm watching this take place. Someone says, can I get a roll? And dad goes, go long. And he throws it across the table. And I'm watching this take place and I'm going, wow, what are we talking about here? We're talking about different values. One, one family values order and, and, and manners and another family might value fun and experience. Both are great values, but they're different. And, and, and every family has a set of values. Here's the other thing you need to know about values, is that values are often unspoken, but they're always felt. Values are not, you don't usually talk to people like, here are my values. Nobody does that. But they're always felt. One last story. I remember being 13 years old, meeting a new friend at school, really nice guy. He invited me to his house, spending the day there, and his mom calls us for dinner. And again, I come down, this is, I sit down, meals prepared, everything looks great. I just stopped and I'm waiting for someone to pray. Because from the time that I was a little kid, every meal we always stopped and thanked the Lord for the food. It was, it was something that we did. Uh, his family just started eating and it was so strange to me. It felt like a value of mine had been offended. I was like, what? what's going on? And I'm looking at them eating. And my friend notices, he turns to me, is everything okay? And I thought for a second, I don't, I don't want to make them feel bad. This is, this is my value, not theirs. So I said, oh, it's fine. Thank you for the food, Lord. You know, kind of did this little prayer under my breath because I'm trying to honor the value that I had by not offending him. Every family has values. And values are often unspoken, but they're always felt. Now, uh, recently I watched a movie um, called Hidden Figures. Some of you have seen this film. It's on Disney or whatever. Uh, it's a really, really interesting film about these three African-American women who were, who were very, very important in the NASA space program in the 1960s. And in spite of being black and in spite of being women they they did a lot to overcome their circumstances to contribute okay so there's this this racism issue and context that's rolling through the movie but what i thought was so interesting is through some of the conversations that were had in the film what you recognize is that the u.s federal government had already put in place laws against segregation they'd already put in laws that basically made the statement we value equality for all regardless of race but just because those values were stated doesn't mean that they were being lived out at NASA, in the workplace, in the communities and schools. You understand what I'm saying? And here's the point I wanted to make, that values are lived out, not stated. Values are lived out. It's not something you talk about, it's something you do. You understand? And, and, and so I don't care if you think your family's fun. I don't care if you put a six-foot poster of a cat falling off a table and, and write a big statement, we value fun if you're not fun, it doesn't matter if you put up a sign, right? Values are lived out. They're not stated. They, they, they have to be obvious to everyone else. When I was a kid, we'd visit churches. And whenever, after so many churches, I began to notice a trend. If we were driving in and there was a giant sign at the front of the church that said, we're friendly and welcoming, oh boy, it's the giant cat poster. It's like, here's who we want to be. And you walk in and everyone's like, who are they? Is anybody going to go talk to them? No. Okay. 
So sometimes we state things. This is who we want to be, but it's not who we are. So values are lived out. They're, they're not stated. If you're a generous person, you don't have to walk around being like, hey, guys, I'm generous. People will know if they spend any time with you. You're the person that's like, hey, can I help you? Hey, I, I, can I pay for your meal? Hey, I had this. I didn't, I didn't need it, and I thought you might be able to use it. Generosity just flows out. It's lived out. You don't have to state it. So values are lived out. Values are not stated. In fact, fun Thanksgiving challenge for you. Next weekend's Thanksgiving. And if you happen to be with family, friends, I know there's limitations to gatherings and all that, but if you're having a meal with people you love, one of the questions you could ask around that table would be like, hey, what are the values of our family? What are the values, not that we say we have, but that we live out, that other people, if they hung out in our house for a week, would observe? It'd be a really interesting conversation, I think. Tried it at my house. Didn't go so well. But... I suggest that you try it. It's, 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 it's a helpful conversation to have. Um, what's true of families, by the way, the families each have distinct values, is actually true of cities and true of countries. Did you know that countries have values? People often talk about Canadians. Oh, those Canadians are so polite, eh? And, and it's like people around the world unanimously agree that one of the values we live out as Canadians is politeness, of all things. If you go to uh, Japan, you'll notice that they live out the value of honor. They have a high honor culture. And it's seen in the way people address you and the way they talk to you and the way they treat you. If you go to the United States of America, they have a high value on independence and on uh, freedom of speech. And so you see that play out in, in the culture. And wherever you go, you see those values played out. So in the same way that families and countries have values, I believe churches have values as well. And let's say, for example, i got a little picture of some churches here. Let's say, for example, you were moving to Peterborough, Ontario, it's where we are, and you were trying to find a church to make your home church. This is a really fascinating process that happens, because usually what we do is we start on the internet, and we start searching websites, maybe looking at reviews. More often than not, we talk to somebody that says, here's been my experience, I go there, I go here. And in our minds, we formulate some sort of list. Anybody with me? You got a list. And it's like, okay, hey, has to have you know good preaching. It has to be interesting, applicable, Bible-based uh, music. You know, whether you like contemporary or traditional. Uh, you know, has to have programs for my kids, teens, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So you go down your list and you're making your checklist of all the things. Let's say you're able to boil it down to three churches that meet all the list of criteria that you have for your particular church that you want to attend. Here's what's interesting. Um, you would assume that since each of these three churches meet your criteria, that you would feel perfectly at home and comfortable in each of those churches. And if you actually attend them all, you'll discover that that's often not true. What is it when you have two churches that say they believe the same things, offer all the same programs, but you go and you feel differently when you enter? Do you know what that is? Values. And again, most churches don't have their values plastered on the wall, okay? Even if they did, you can't trust them, okay? Uh, so most churches don't do that. So when you enter into a community of people, there is a culture of values that they embrace and you feel it before you can ever articulate what it is. And that's why some people have walked into this building and said, I feel like I'm at home. And others have come here and after a few months said, I love the preaching, I love the music, I love the programs, I love everything about it, but it doesn't feel right. And they might move on to another church. And what they're talking about is values. And I'm telling you, I could do a whole series on values because our values have to align with the people that we're doing life with. There has to be some alignment in values. When people start dating, okay, let's just quickly go here. When people start dating, they often look at all the external stuff. Is she pretty? Is he handsome? 
Does he have a job? <laughs> you know, that's, keep that one on the checklist. That's important. All right? So you're looking at the situation and you're going, okay, we like the same sports team. We like the same kind of, we both like Thai food. You know, we both listen to country music. Whatever it is. And you go, wow, we're so aligned. And after six months, you're like, uh, I don't know what's going on because beneath the surface, there are values that are not in alignment. You don't marry somebody for the external alignment. You marry them for values alignment because 10, 15, 20, 30 years down the road, it's the values that will either keep you together or pull you apart. Does that make sense? So values are super important. And as a church, we have some values, and I want to share with you today what some of our values are as a church. Uh, I don't know if we're going to get through them all, but here are six, and they're just words, okay? Anybody could say they have these values, you can stick them on a wall, you can make a poster, whatever you want to do. But here are six of our core values as a church. I'm going to try to explain them a little bit to you today. Uh, Each one of these actually needs its own sermon. It would need a 30 minute to really get into it, but I'm going to try to summarize in in brief for you. Gospel focus, number one, love and action. Number two, excellence, authenticity, engagement, and empowerment. Now, one thing I do want to say about these six uh, is that each of them actually is paired up strategically, okay, in what I call symbiotic pairs, okay? It means they depend upon one another, and they must grow in tandem, together, okay? Think of a, a two yoke pulling an ox, or two ox pulling into a yoke. They have to be uh, together. So this gospel-focused value and love in action must be uh, equally proportionate, Excellence and authenticity need one another, engagement and empowerment. So I just wanted to state that before I dive into these particular values so that you can understand where I'm coming from. Okay, so let's look at the very first value, which, by the way, is gospel focus. Now, when you hear the word gospel focus, it might mean nothing to you. So let me explain what we mean when we say gospel. What we mean when we say gospel is this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Jesus came to this earth, God in flesh. He hung upon a cross in our place for our sins, died, was buried in the grave. On the third day, He rose and then ascended into heaven one day to return to rule and reign with His people on this earth. And anyone who believes that, who trusts in Jesus, is invited into God's family to sit at His table, as we've been talking about. That's the gospel. Now, Here's why it's so important for the gospel to be the focus. Because that brief statement I just gave you becomes the center of our theology. When you open the Bible, when we open the Bible, we read the entire Bible, understand it, and interpret it through the lens of the gospel narrative. Many people have opened this Bible and committed atrocities, opened this Bible, got caught up in rules, regulations, forms of worship. And what were they doing? They were trying to find God and please God through the keeping of laws and traditions instead of finding Jesus. He is the center of the story. He is in the middle of everything. Here's how Jesus put it himself in John 5. In John 5, Jesus says, he's talking to religious people who studied the Bible for a living. Very moral, very good people and he says you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life jesus says you think that keeping rules traditions and forms of worship will save you and he says no 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 it is they that bear witness about me jesus says all of the bible points to me i'm the center of all of this can you imagine how offensive this that statement jesus is making would have been to those people he's like you're making yourself the center of god's word and jesus is like yes Here's what he says next. 
yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Jesus says, not only am I the center of this book, not only am I the lens through which you understand God and what he has spoken, you can only get to God through me. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Super offensive, super clear, super direct. So for us as a church, what that means is that when we open the Bible, we interpret it and read it through the lens of a gospel focus. That, by the way, friends, is why we don't you know, keep all the Jewish food laws. It's why we don't take animals and sacrifice them. Because Jesus came to fulfill the sacrificial system. right? Jesus said, not only am I the temple... The temple represents me, the high priest represents me, the altar represents me, and the spotless lamb that dies on the altar represents me, and it's all fulfilled in me. So we read and understand the entire Bible through that lens. Jesus is the main character of the Bible. And you can go to a lot of churches, again, you can go to a lot of places where people will teach you that the Bible is a book of moral guidelines, and if you just read and obey the things, then your life will be wonderful, and that's... We, we don't believe that this is uh, about us. We believe it's about Jesus and we're invited into his story, and we're invited to follow him. So that determines how we read and understand all of Scripture. That makes sense? The other thing, uh, the other application to this value is we have something called open hand and closed hand. And I wish I had time. I could spend a lot of time on this one. As a church, fundamentally, we have issues, as we study the Scripture, that fall in a closed hand and in an open hand. And what we mean is this. There are things in the closed hand that we will not debate or argue about, we will not budge on, and there are things in the open hand, theologies, ideas, practices, that we will just say, you know what, we're gonna, we can agree to disagree, and we're going to leave those in the open hand. Does that make sense? So, for example, in the closed hand, the Bible is God's Word. It reveals His will, it reveals His Son, it reveals the future. The Bible is God's Word, closed hand. Which translation should you read? Open hand. King James? Has to be King James. No, how about ESV, NIV? What about the Message Bible? Can we read the Message Bible? Is that a real Bible? You know, open hand. We can discuss. We can, we can disagree. Certain things are in the closed hand. Certain things are in the open hand. For example, Jesus will return to rule and reign and to bring peace to the earth and to, and to establish an everlasting kingdom. Closed hand. No question. There's no debate. Open hand. When is he coming? Who is the Antichrist? What will happen in the East and Syria and all these countries? And, and how will it all unfold? And is the coronavirus part of it all? I don't know. Open hand. We can discuss. Close hand, open hand. What that does for us by embracing this open hand, close hand way of thinking is what it, it means is that we actually have a church community that is extremely diverse. And I know the people watching online and in the room uh, represent all different types of backgrounds. About 27, 28% of our church were not attending any church before coming here. And then the rest of the people came from other church backgrounds, Catholic, Anglican, Presbyterian, Pentecostal, all of these different backgrounds. And it, the reason why is because we're centered on the gospel. And instead of focusing on all the peripheral things, we're going to put Jesus in the middle, focus on that, and we'll just agree to disagree on many of the peripheral things. Does that make sense? So that's a value, and I think that value has lived itself out here in our congregation. So let's get to number two. Second value is love in action. Love in action. And I'll, I'll come back to these little statements later, but love in action is a value that I think defines us, but also there's work to be done. When we think of the word love, in English language we use the word love to describe a lot of things, right? We use the word love to talk about um, our spouse, our parents, our friends, I love my friends, pizza, I love a good deep dish, you know? 
Like we use the word love for all these, and we know intuitively that, that love can be used in different ways. In the Greek language, they actually used the word love in many different ways. They actually had different words for love instead of just using the word. So for example, there's the word eros. That's the Greek word eros, where we get the word erotic. And it has to do with sensual love. It's like, oh, I love the deep dish pizza, you know, that kind of thing. I'm, I'm attracted to that person. I feel, ooh, there's chemistry. Like, that's eros. That's kind of the, the lowest, superficial, emotional kind of level of love. And then the next level of love is phileo love. And that Greek word is where you get the word Philadelphia, brotherly love. It's like the way when you see a friend you haven't seen in a while, you just hug them and you're like, how are you doing? And you really care about them. Connect, family, friendship. That's phileo love. But the highest form of love is the Greek word agape. And it's this, it's this love that is benevolent that gives with no strings attached. And when the Bible speaks of the kind of love that God has for you and me, it uses the word agape. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. That's agape love. He gave His Son. And God gives with no strings attached. And and, and God loves us in that way. And so here's the thing. As hard as this is, we want to receive the gospel message that God loved us so much that he gave his son, but then we have to also live that love out with one another and with the church and the community at large. Here's the text, Romans 5, verse 8. It's one of my favorite verses in all the scripture. It says this, but God shows his love. It's one thing to feel love. It's another thing to show it. God shows his love for us in that when, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is amazing to me because there are days when I feel like I'm, I'm earning God's love. Like, oh yeah, look at me. Of course God loved me. But it says that God loved me and died for me while I was still a sinner. That's agape love. And one of the questions I've always had since the first day of our church is how could we demonstrate to our community at large and how can we create a culture within this church community of love that is given without strings attached? Friends, it's hard to even love a spouse or a child this way. You think, oh, I love my kid unconditionally. And then when they do something wrong, you're like, they're making me look bad. Stop it, right? And strings are constantly attached to everything. And, and it literally takes the love of God to start snipping the strings and detaching ourselves and what we get from what we give. But it's something we need to do. Uh, from the outset of our church, one of the things we did um, in the first year was we had a big Easter egg hunt. Many of you will know it's infamous uh, because we invited the whole city and we didn't really have much of a plan. And then thousands of people showed up and we weren't ready. Um, and there was like a tsunami of kids went through and kids were crying. Anyway, it was, we, we were well-intentioned, right? We did this huge thing. And someone would say, well, what is, why is a church spending thousands of dollars on Easter eggs and doing all this, and you're not even forcing people to come to church first and hear about Jesus? And the reason why is because we wanted to make a, send a message to our community that we love you with no strings attached. We're here to serve. We're here to make our community better. And if you want to know why we do it, it's because we're gospel-centered and we believe God has done that for us and we want to do it for you. And we want them to see the light of the gospel through our hands and feet. Um, we did that event four times over the last decade. Always great. Um, just in the fall of this past year, we started an initiative called For Peterborough where we wanted to just start small and large events, acts of service in our community. We had a big city cleanup event. We are going to clean the whole city as a church um, in cooperation with the Rotary Club. All of those things are an effort to live out this idea of love in action, to love our city in a way that points them to Christ. And by the way, both of these have to be working together. I think I got a little image of a little way scale, if you can throw that up for me. Uh, all of these have to work together. Because 
Many people, many churches can claim that we have a gospel focus, we're centered on Jesus, our theology is good, and they don't love anyone. What did Jesus say? Greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is just like it, love your neighbor as yourself. He tells the story of the Good Samaritan. It's like, hey, you cannot have a gospel theology without love and action. And if all you have is love and action, you have a humanitarian organization. If all you have is gospel focus, you become a religious sect. But when you have both in tandem, you start to look a little bit like Jesus. And that's what we want. So those are the first two values that we talk about here as a church. See how I'm doing for time. I've got so much to say, I've got to kind of speed along here. Let's look at the next one. The next value is the value of excellence. And the phrase that we like to use around here when we talk about excellence is this idea of bring your best. Now this is really important. Bring your best talks about how we live out excellence because bring your best um, is very different than bring someone else's best. And the, the danger with excellence is that we can begin to be like comparing ourselves with others and striving for things. But the idea of excellence is bringing your best. Here's how Paul says it in Romans 5 verse 8. He says this, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord... You will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Paul says, whatever you do. Everybody say, whatever. I couldn't hear you at home. Whatever. That was for the people at home. I don't know, I'm kidding. Whatever you do. Paul says, listen. Whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord. That means whether you're cutting your grass, whether you are filling out a report at work, whether you are doing the dishes, whether you are doing your homework, hanging out with your friends, whatever you do, Bring your best. Do it as unto the Lord. If Jesus was coming to your house for dinner tonight, let me tell you what would happen. If you knew he was coming. Your house would be cleaner than it ever is. <laughs> your best dishes would be out on the table. Scented candles, they would, they would emerge from a closet somewhere. Everything would be as perfect as you could make it. You'd bring your best. This is the idea. And God is looking for our best, not someone else's best. There's this interesting story in the Gospels where Jesus is at the temple and he's watching people put money in the offering box. And there's these wealthy people bringing bags of coins. It's like, ha ha, blowing trumpets. Like, look how generous I am. And people are like... And Jesus points out a widow who has next to nothing and she puts in a mite, you know, a, a, some change, a little bit of whatever she had. And Jesus points her out and he says, she's given more than everyone else here. Why? She brought the best that she had. This is a principle that runs throughout the scriptures. You go to the Old Testament, and when the people came to the temple and they brought a lamb, you know, as an offering to God, they brought the best lamb. Like, it would make sense to say, oh, there's the lamb that's got like a wobbly leg. Let's sacrifice him to God, because he's going to get sacrificed anyway. Like, let's just bring that one to God. But no, they brought the best. The one that they, were, the one they would bring to the show and be like, look at our best lamb, our farm is amazing. They'd take that one and they would offer it to God. They would take the best of their crops. And they would offer it to God. Why? It's a principle of bringing our best. Now here's the thing about bringing your best. No one else knows what your best is. So it's easy to fly under the radar and, and to be mediocre. That's why it's a challenge and a value for us to constantly bring our best. Now, let me also talk about the danger of this. If all you talk about is, how can we do it better? How can we make our live stream better? How can we make children's programming better? How can we make this better? How can we reach more people and make that better? And better, 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 best. All of a sudden, it can become all about outcomes. And we can lose sight of people. And we can lose sight of reality. So this value of excellence, while extremely important for us, also has to be paired with authenticity. 
And when I think about authenticity, I think about something being what it really is. When you see something and it says it's authentic, you say, okay, it's not a replica, it's not a fake, it's the real deal. It's, it's the, the essence of it is that it is real. And this phrase that we use to describe authenticity is this idea of lowering the mask. And I'm not talking about a coronavirus mask. I'm talking about like those masquerade balls. You ever seen those? You know, in the old movies, they have these, these masquerades. And you didn't know who was behind the mask. And authenticity is being able to lower the facade of what other people see to be the genuine you and the real you. How many of you, uh, look, show of hands, maybe if you're online you can post in the comment. How many of you are afraid of clowns, even a little bit? Show of hands, okay, I see some hands going up. Uh, I know there are more of you than let on, you don't want to... Clowns are scary, and I'll tell you why. Because they have this outward facade of being fun, like the big red smiley thing and the big nose, honk honk, and the funny hair. But you know there's somebody under there, and you're not sure who it is, and it's kind of creepy, and it's kind of concerning. And the way that people feel about clowns is actually the way that some people feel when they attend a church. Because they walk in, and they see everyone smiling and dressed nice, and everybody knows what to say, and they know when to stand, and they know when to sit, and they know how to recite, and they know how to pray eloquently, and you see it all, and you're like, it's a little creepy, because I know there's real people under there. And when I attended church as a kid, we went to lots of different great churches, not so great churches, and I'll tell you something. I would walk in as an eight, nine-year-old, and I would observe people, and the family would come in, they'd all be dressed nice, and it's like, how are you? We're blessed. The Lord is good all the time. All the time! And someone will say, the Lord is good. And then after service, it's like, yeah, that was wonderful. See you next week. And they walk out, and they get in their car, and their shoulders go like this. And their marriage is falling apart, and they're struggling with addiction, and they're struggling with mental health, and you couldn't say anything. You felt like if you said, here's who I really am, or here's what I'm really experiencing, that you'd get pushed out of the club, that people would look down on you. And that's why it's so important for us to have authenticity. In Ephesians, Paul writes to the church, and I just want you to look at a couple of these statements. With all humility, he's talking about how Christians were to deal with one another with humility. See, authenticity requires humility. You can't put on a show when you're humble. You have to be like, this is, this is what you see, is what you get. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another. The point isn't that we pretend we're all great, but that we bear with one another, that we help each other carry a load. That's the image of the New Testament church. In uh, James, he says this, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Imagine a church community where people actually say, I messed up. I'm not doing well. Would you help me? And they reach out. That's authenticity, right? That's a a perfect example of authenticity. And by the way, let's go to this uh, diagram next. Both of these have to be together. Again, if you only have excellence, here's what happens. Better, better, best. Everyone's walking around like, I'm a 9 out of 10. I'm an 8 out of 10. You're doing pretty good. Hey, hey. And, and everyone that's a 4 and a 5 comes into the church, comes into the community and goes, oh, everyone's doing great but me. I'm doing great too. Right? And, and this creates uh, legalism. Authenticity, on the other hand, if all you have is authenticity, if everyone comes to church and is like, here's who I am, it's just who I am, it's just who I am. And it's like, I'm a sinner, and that's who I am. I struggle, and that's who I am. I have no character, that's just who I am, except me, who I am. See, this is what we do, this is who we are. But here's the thing. If all we have is authenticity, it leads to license. Just accept everybody, but nobody ever improves. You need them together, right? 
Here's where I am. I'm a 3 out of 10, but God's calling me to be a 4 and a 5 out of 10, to increase in my gifts, to increase in my character, to be a better husband and father, to be a better mother and a better friend. God is calling us forward. He loves us and accepts us exactly where we are, but He calls us forward to be more like His Son. So you have to have them both together. Does that make sense? So we've got all of these values, and I'm out of time. I can't share with you the last two, so I'm going to have to just kind of hold off. You can hit those quickly, just throw them up. I'll just briefly tell you about these. Engagement and empowerment is the last pair. Engagement is this idea of ownership. Engagement is like, I have a role to play in this church. I have a role to play in my community, and I'm owning it and I'm holding it tight, and I'm running forward with it. Empowerment is the idea of I am going to hand off what God has given me to someone else so that they can take charge. I don't want to get 20 years down the road as a church and look over my shoulder, and we're all in our 70s, and there's nobody coming up behind us because we haven't passed on the baton. Okay? I'll talk about those another time. So let me just... um, So again, those two are going to be in balance. And then next slide... Uh, Once again, just a recap of our core values, gospel focus, love and action, excellence and authenticity. And I want to do uh, one thing. I want to just kind of read off to you before I close these these little statements. Because for each of those four values that we kind of looked at a little bit this morning, we had these action statements. Let me tell you what they are and how they work. And we don't need any slides for this. I'll just explain it. Gospel-centered, the action statement is this, keeping Jesus at the center. And you say, okay, so how do I live out the value of gospel focus? Well, I'll tell you. You have to ask the question, is Jesus at the center? Is Jesus at the center of my life? Let's start there. And what I've discovered is that every time I make Jesus the center of my life, over time, inevitably, I move away. He never moves. He doesn't change. I do. And I have to continually ask myself the question, is Jesus the center of my life? Here's another way to think about it. Is Jesus the center of my relationships? If you're dating someone, you have to ask yourself, is Jesus at the center of that relationship? If he is, it will impact the relationship. It will be felt. You understand? Is Jesus at the center? When you go to school, when you go to work, is Jesus at the center of everything I do? That's the the action statement that we could talk about. When we talk about this value of love, here's the question. Am I loving others with no strings attached? And let's say you do 10 acts of love this week for other people. Maybe your goal would be to do two of them with no strings attached because ultimately there's always going to be these hidden strings that are attached to everything we do. And can we love like that? And we do it because he has loved us like that. The third one we covered was excellence. Here's the question. Are you bringing your best in your family, at your workplace, in your marriage? in your relationships, are you bringing your best to God and to others? It can look like your best, but are you bringing your best? Nobody knows but you. And lastly, this idea of authenticity, and I think that's a great place to close. Do you feel safe in your home? Do you feel safe in this church to lower your mask and say, here's who I am, here's how I'm doing? Are you able to be authentic? I don't know about you, but um, for me, I'm not claiming that our church is an authentic church. Right? I'm not claiming that everybody feels comfortable to share where they're at in this church, but I can tell you this. I do not want to lead a church. I don't want to pastor a church where people feel like they have to hide who they really are. I would rather people come into the doors of this church and say, I'm a 3 out of 10. That's where I'm at. I'm struggling. Where they can get help and encouragement and prayer, I would rather see that than have a whole bunch of people pretending to be 8s and 9s and go, yeah, look how good we're doing. Authenticity. No clown masks. No craziness. 
just here's who I am and paired with excellence and, and I'm going to take a step forward. That, that's our goal for each and every person. So I don't know if this conversation has been helpful to you. But these are four of our core values that I think have driven who we are and we need to continue to aspire to grow in them as a community. I'm going to pray for us. I'm hoping that this content and these words have been helpful to you. I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to share in the Lord's Supper in communion together. Um, So if you would join with me, let's pray. Father, um, thank you for this community of people, both in the room and online, who call themselves part of Pathway Church. And Lord, we understand that you have called our church family to be distinct from other churches. You've called us to carry values and to accomplish things that other churches won't accomplish. And Lord, I pray that we as a community would be able to rally around our mission, vision, and values for the next decade that we would reach hundreds and hundreds of people with the gospel message that has changed many of our lives. Father, help us to love one another with no strings attached to continue to pursue excellence while also embracing this idea of authenticity and humility. Thank you for what you're doing in the lives of each person, seen and unseen. Thank you for what you're doing in this church, and we pray that you would continue it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Pathway Church Podcast. If you'd like to reach out to us, go to our website, pathwaylife.com. And as always, don't forget to subscribe. See you next week.